Sunday morning. You are listening to Triple H 100.1 and stay in the loop with Lucy. This is a show that covers health and well-being, celebrating people and services in our community, learning from those who are local and beyond. Today's show focuses on domestic violence and domestic abuse. Now, they're not one and the same, although sometimes interrelated. My guests to really take us through this topic are Senior Constable Malcolm Baker from Kuringai Local Area Command. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, Peter Foster, who is a relationship counsellor in private practice. Um, and I met Peter through the Lifeline um, interview on and hit their anger management program. Welcome, Peter. Good morning, Lucy. Thank you for having me. So it's really important to normalise the conversation about domestic abuse and domestic violence so that we can actually understand what it is. Malcolm, I wonder if you can give us a definition. I can. It's actually in legislation. It basically states a domestic and family violence offence means a personal violence offence committed by a person against another person with whom the person who commits the offence has or has had a domestic relationship. So does that put it in the home? Very much so. Okay. And uh, it could apply to anyone who lives in that home. So it could be um, from a, a young person or a child to an adult, as much as an adult to a child, between two partners, between grandparents and children. It, it does, it's not age-related, is it? Very much not. It's, it involves grandparents, step-grandparents, step-brothers. Step, it's, it's, it's a plethora of, of um, relationships. And when we have a lot of blended families and a lot of relationships that come together with different children and it, it actually that relationship, the stepbrother, stepsister, stepmother, stepfather, it becomes quite complicated because there's a lot of emotional issues that goes with suddenly finding yourself not in a, a one-parent family but a, um, a two-parent family. Peter, what is it not? Well, uh, it's interesting to pick up on that point because we know that families these days are becoming increasingly complex. You mentioned step families and, and, and all of that and also more instances of elders living with families and so on. But it's really important to say that, 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 that domestic violence is not about family relationships. And neither is it, um, as is often thought, an anger management problem. Domestic violence is, is violence, and the responsibility for that violence, we'll talk about that, can only lie with the abuser. So we're talking abuse and abuser. It yes. really is not... I, I, I think that's a really important point. It's not about family relationships. So you can have issues within a family, you can have things that you need to work on and uh, ways of communicating that you can develop. But this is abuse and uh, it takes it onto a whole new level. Yes, abuse, pure and simple. Okay. Now, the other thing we have to say is that it can be physical, sexual, verbal, social, economic spiritual as well as uh did that include elder we can put any age in all of those categories yes we can so where where do we start with how we describe what each of those are is there a way of sort of breaking it down do you see i mean malcolm you're the domestic violence liaison officer so you see this on you know when it's when it's got to the situation where it's completely broken down and Peter, correct, please correct me if I'm wrong. You probably see it when it's festering and before someone has actually 
perhaps admitted that there is a problem. Yes, that's right. Because it's, it's actually easy to see there's a problem when everything's very messy. It's much easier to pretend there's nothing wrong and it's a relationship issue mm. under the cover of, you know, we're still keeping up appearances. Yes, or even signs where it's not actually discussed but the, the client might present with depression or anxiety or a sense of defensiveness. Mm. Um, there might be these physical symptoms as well. So it's a case of screening and just looking for that and testing to see whether, whether the trust builds up with the client, whether they're prepared to talk about what is actually going on. Now, there's a cycle to violence, isn't there? Do you yes. want to talk us through that? Do you want to do that, Malcolm? Uh, uh, Peter, I'll let you go with that one. Okay. Yes. Um, so, yes, you're right. Um, anger, uh, sorry, uh, domestic violence does follow a predictable cycle. Um, it's certainly thought to be uh, a pattern of power and control. Uh, but but the, the interesting thing is it's, it's, it's really quite predictable. And um, it goes through a kind of a cycle like this. Um, the couple, let's say a couple, but it could be any two people or more. But it's typified by um, a rising sense of tension or, or building up. Um, yes, tension, I suppose, is probably one of the best ways of putting it. And then the abuser will emerge and start to stand over the, the victim or the victims. That standing over them or exerting control and coercion um, may then come to an explosion or a, a kind of a crisis point. Um, that often uh, is what's so dangerous about that is that in doing that, the the the, the, per, the per, perpetrator will actually feel a sense of release, which can be quite pleasurable and addictive, um, which is why it becomes cyclical. Mm. Um, they come down from that, though, and once they've come out of that sense of release, they start to see the consequences of what they've done and they can often feel uh, very deep remorse. Um, and then that, that, that leads to a phase where they start to pursue the, um, the victim and say, oh, I didn't mean it, I'm sorry, I, you know, I, will, I will correct my ways. And uh, the person can actually go through uh, personality changes during this stage. Mm -hmm. Eventually, um, they may win the victim over and they'll go through a honeymoon f uh, phase, but it doesn't last for very long um, and then the build-up starts again and so here we are, we're back at, the, back at the beginning of the cycle. The cycle can go around any number of times and it doesn't have to include all of those steps every time, but that's the basic shape of it. Mm. Um, I, I can add to that too, I think, a little bit, Peter. We tend to find too in that remorseful situation... A lot of the times they're saying there's self-guilt, but at the same time they'll still look at blaming the other person for what, for his actions or their, that person's actions. If you didn't do that, I wouldn't have to have done that. Right. It's still in, still in a form of control and, and blaming the victim. Right. And um, the, the lead-up to that explosion, has that potentially left a, quite a fertile ground for the victim to actually buy into that story? It comes, again, uh, as Peter was saying, a lot of the times when you're saying, um, bought into it, the, the cycle can actually, we, we tend to find the cycle will, will, will shorten. Mm. There's no longer the pursuit. There's no longer the remorse. We basically go from the build-up, the standover, the harassment, and then the explosion. Wow. Because we, we've, we've, we've now got this person, again, where we need to have this person in their mind. Yeah. Um, that person... Would you say he's trapped in that situation? Mm. Because there's a lot of the times they don't have in, in their minds an exit. 
Right. Yes, sadly, the, 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 the cycle even traps the abuser. Uh, sorry, it traps the, um, the victim. They become as much part of the pattern as the, as the pattern of the perpetrator. It's, a, it's an awful trap. Right. Um, do words hold as much sway as physical manifestations? So if you go to hospital, you have got physical proof that you're being abused. What happens if it's verbal? From a policing perspective, yeah. um, it's a, a lot harder to, to, to basically bring the perpetrator to the court in relation to that because a lot of the times that the the victim isn't aware that they believe that they believe that an assault has to be physical an assault does not have to be physical it can a a tirade can be an assault it doesn't have to that's not just intimidation it's Mm. an assault Mm. the moment you start to feel fear you start to concern yourself about you have to react to this person's behavior then at that stage you can it can be classed as an assault but those are the sorts of things that the victims will wave off as well. It's, it's just a normal yeah, it's just reaction his, to what happens if things her. don't go that person's way. That's right. Now, we do presume that it's mostly <coughs> male on female, but that's not always the case, is it? Not always. Um, I w- roughly around the, the, around the 75% of the mark um, mm. is, um, is, fem- is, male or in, is male perpetrated. Mm. Um, physical assault... I would put it at 95% is, is male. Yeah. Um, wow. There's many other forms of... of I mean, a, a, another big one is a lot of the times that the, the male, rather than actually um, assaulting the female, um, will will smash things that mean a great deal of mm. something to that person um, emotionally or, or there's a connection and then they'll smash them. The act in itself is intimidating and it's also setting up let this person know that no matter what I know that that means so much to you but I'm still in control yeah and just watch out because it might be you next mm-hmm. it's very intimidating mm. and, and we shouldn't forget that um, this this occurs a lot in same sex relationships as well yep both genders yep yep and uh, and that hold that people have over each other um, that that's that's a nasty one I know in a lot of the booklets that I've read the information that someone holds over another can very often be used to intimidate the person to not speak up about abuse in a relationship. So I can imagine in a same-sex relationship, if you haven't actually come out to your family or you haven't actually come out to some of your friends or the community, there's a control there that means you might be quiet about something that you really shouldn't be. Again, that comes into that situation you were talking before about isolation. Yeah. That person already believes in a sense that they've that they're they're a minority group yeah and this person will have has got a hold over that person mm. yep but religion can sit in that yeah very much and so. as well it can be really off the off the crime radar um it can be it can be just tiny little things at first by like one of the partner will just sort of make little ridiculing comments or exercise control over the money or it can be can be really off the grid as far as that's concerned, but it's nonetheless it has started and it, the, the cycle has begun, and and it will probably escalate in time. So, what would be the warning signs, Peter? Well, it, it, it's good for people to know that that, that there, there is there there are signs of abusive personalities. Just thinking of young people that might be 
contemplating getting into a relationship, but they've suddenly found themselves in a relationship. Um, I'm just going to go through a bit of a list here quickly because um, it's reassuring to know that uh, young people and and people that are close to them, parents and so on, can just be aware of these. Think of things like jealousy or controlling behaviour. Controlling behaviour is often expressed as concern for the person when it's really just about control. Um, there can be there can be absurdly unrealistic expectations set up, like um, he might say, look, my love is all you need, Mm. or he might say, you are all I need. Um, Isolation, um, blame shifting is a big one. Um, the, The perpetrator will say, well, I've got these problems, but it's your fault because you made me do this, or you you make me have these feelings. Uh, There'll be hypersensitivity, um, any ex- any exhibition of uh, cruelty, say, for ex- to children or animals or other less strong people, such as frail parents, they would be early warning signs. Um, and the obvious signs would be verbal abuse. Might be start start off very very little at first, but might escalate. Breaking objects, um, the use of force during an argument. It might be just simply reaching out and simply holding the person on their shoulder lightly, but it's intimidating. Mm. A big sign is if the relationship is uh, that the couple have become involved too quickly for comfort. Mm-hmm. In other words, they've, they've become involved, you know, terms like love at first sight, or I've, I've never loved anybody so much as you. They're all warning signs. They're all flags. That's so interesting, isn't it? It really turns on its head the understanding of love because love actually is a very solid, uh, mutual, harmonious relationship feeling. It, it is really, power. It, it There's no power. It usually hurt. takes time to it develop. It does, mm. yeah. You are listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. My guests today are Malcolm Baker, Senior Constable, Domestic Violence Liaison Officer, and Peter Foster, a, um, a counsellor in private practice who is working with individuals and uh, couples as a relationship counsellor. Um, we're talking about domestic violence we're talking about domestic abuse we're talking about abuse in general what happens with awareness days with situations like you know the radio show someone listens to it it's a point where people can reassess whether what they've called normal is in fact normal from that moment on there's a choice isn't there what do i do with that information it starts to become a tension in their body uh, maybe a tension that they then acknowledge as opposed to they can feel the tension but they're squashing it what happens if a young person comes home from school and says mum is it why does dad do that to you mm. what happens at that point well, I guess it's important to um, recognise what's actually happening in that child's experience. And we should remember that children are picking up, um, they're witnessing violence even from a pre-verbal age. A, ba- a, a, a baby lying in a cot in another room, hearing mum and dad fighting uh, violently, is already being affected. Mm-hmm. They're going to see things happen they're going to hear things happening in other places, like in another room. They're going to see the aftermaths of violence. They're going to see um, uh, wounds and, and damaged property, which will be very distressing to them. 
and they're going to be aware of tension in the home. Mm. So th- imagine that's going on in the mind of a very young person, I mean a child. It's a very visceral thing, isn't it? Yes. That children feel in their bodies way before they've got verbal communication skills. Yes. They wet themselves. They, uh, you know, they might not express that they're unhappy, but they're wetting their bed. They're, they're, it's, they feel energy. And when something isn't quite right, you're, someone can say, no, 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 it's all fine. That, that's disaster to a child because then they learn to actually turn off what they're feeling and not necessarily anticipate the danger that they're in. That's right. They, there's a term about that. They actually put their feelings behind a screen. They, they shove them away and so um, they, they, they actually lose contact with their own feelings. So when they do have those feelings, they don't understand what they are. Right. And um, the effects you mentioned, um, it's some of the more, more um, concerning effects are that they can actually start to feel responsible in some way mm. for mum and dad fighting. Um, they, can, they can feel that, oh, well, if, if I was naughty, so that's why mum and dad are, are fighting, so yeah. I've got to be good. And they can um, feel that they have to keep secrets, which mm-hmm. no child should have to keep. Mm-hmm. Um, they... They obviously become very vulnerable and 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 isolated in in those situations. So it's a it's a really it's a it's a accumulating effect. Now, ask Malcolm in your role. Do you go into schools and talk about this with students, or is do you do it in partnership with the school liaison officer? We have the school liaison officer. We also have the youth liaison officer. Okay. Um, a lot of times we'll do a conjunction yeah. and have a chat um, in relation to to to. Um, well, again, it's about domestic violence, but it's also about relationships in general. Yes. Um, so if uh, it, you obviously see people when they're actually they're coming to you, they're saying, okay, something isn't right. What happens when they present to a police station? If you're talking about a, a young person? Um, you'll probably deal with them very differently. So let's, let's talk young person first and then maybe the older person. Um what we tend to find is um, people who usually do come to the station um, have the people who've, who who have dealt with it on a day-to-day basis or it's been a long-term sort of a situation. And um, We have domestic violence where we actually turn up at the house because it's there and then and it's happened. Right. These are situations that people will come to the, to the police station um, over a period of time and basically say, no, I've had enough, this is what's been happening, this is what's been happening. Um, on the catalogue of what we're told, can will determine which which path we go down to. But the first path that we really do look for is some sort of assistance for for that person, uh, whether it's um, housing, whether it's um, medical, um, whether it's some form of assistance economically. Um, a lot of the times, we're trying to find these people a, a place to stay that's um, not known to the to the perpetrator. Right. So, in fact. The chances are, and I, I don't want to put a statistic on it, so I'm just getting a general sense, the people who turn up at the police station, the chances are you've got a history with them because you'll have been to situations at their home. Not always. That's right. the thing too. This is a, it's a point where there's been a trigger. As you said, it might be a situation where um, we have White Ribbon Day. And, and mm-hmm. again, we talk about the, the, the children. Um, they're learning from... You're at home with your parents. Your parents say you're, you learn from your parents. Yes. Everything is basically what you learn. And then when you go to school and learn from in the group that that isn't normal normal behavior, mm-hmm. um, it creates that situation where, as Peter was saying, that they're, um, 
that are at crossroads. They need to, to, to need to know. We've had situations where um, one particular trigger was uh, a, a young boy's gone home to mum and said, "How come dad does that?" Right. And it was a trigger for for for, for, for the situation where we can became involved. Okay. Peter, did you want to add anything about elder abuse? Uh, only that it's uh, it's uh, really an emergent. We, we're becoming more aware of it. I, I guess it's a function of um, more. There's more more older people, uh, more older people living at home, um, and of course, unlike children, they don't get out and about. And the, the opportunity to det- to detect the presence of elder abuse is. Uh, is much reduced. Uh, for example, alert teachers at school can pick up on signs of distress in children and talk to them and if there's a good rapport and trust there, the child might open up and talk to a teacher. But consider the position of um, an elderly relative, a frail relative at home, um, no services coming in, um, there's, there's a real potential there for abuse in that area. So we're really relying on on. on people that witness this to, yes, to come, to come out and up. say so. Sorry, can I... Under the actual Domestic Violence Act, um, a carer, paid or unpaid, falls under the under the umbrella of a domestic relationship. OK. Mm. So expand on that for us. What does that look like within a family? It can be aged care facilities. Right. As well as people who... Your, your people who come to the door, your, your, your Meals on Wheels, or anybody who comes to for the care of that person. It could be the person's next-door neighbour who's doing it as a as a friend who's not treating this person correctly. It's it's paid or unpaid, and if you're... The, That's huge. Care carer, it is. So it's it's not just in the family, it's not just relatives, it's actually anyone who has the responsibility to care for a person. Mm-hmm. That's correct. That's quite huge. Um, what do you say to people if they know that they want to, that they know something's wrong, but they're not quite ready to go yet? How do you support them? We... Always, I always take the step and say, well, you've take, the biggest step you've actually done is you've walked through the door of the police station. At that stage, I understand that is a huge step for you to do that. Um, always give them my details. Um, I advise them at that point on to, to make as many reports as needed. It, um, if you believe that you're being abused, report it to police. If you believe that what... And if there's a, a situation where there's an offence... We also have to let these people know that when an offence occurs, police attend, we have an obligation to investigate that, that offence. Um, that offence, as we say, may be a situation where we've got prima facie, which means we've got enough to say what that person needs to be um, brought before a magistrate to determine where we go from there. This is probably a little bit which we'll talk about later. Mm. That's where the picture changes again. That's where we may find that the victim, um, again, will basically recoil. Yeah. So again, it's, it's small steps, but yeah. the, the first priority is to get these people support. The perpetrator we deal with later, we, we yeah. need to get the, the victim the support that that victim needs. That's great because yes, it's it's actually understanding the person in front of you, how brave they've been to come in. This is what we're going to do, and I have seen that too when when the person who's come in and thinks they've done the hard bit, when they suddenly it's like, okay, we can take legal action here, we can, you know, we, it, it's become a criminal offence. There's an absolute fear of what that involves. The repercussions and, yes. can be huge for a family. Yes, yeah. So um, we haven't really spoken much about 
the importance of making sure that you have copies of documents and and things like that can we briefly just say what would what are the key documents you find when someone has to just go what are the key documents that if they haven't got it makes setting up again quite difficult um your bank accounts your um passports on numerous occasions we spoke earlier about um taking things off that person that are of great value to them i mean nothing is of more value to a parent than you than your child yeah and the threat to take away their passport um they, so yeah you need your passports you need your bank details birth certificates really, birth certificates the sort of things that you know that you need to go through life in general mm. in the short term we'd have ex- ask you to maybe pack a small overnight bag this is at the situations the place where you think look i've got to get out yeah um you're starting to make a plan yep yep and the counseling perhaps that you've tried sort of isn't working Okay, um, we've got some community servants announcements in the news next. And when we come back, we're going to talk about domestic violence orders and apprehended violence orders. Have I got those words correct? We've got it's apprehended domestic violence orders. Oh, there we yes. go. Um, you're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. You are listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. Today's show is all about domestic violence and domestic abuse and I have to amazing uh, guest with me today Malcolm Baker, Senior Constable, Domestic Violence Liaison Officer for, for the Kuringai Local Area Command stationed at Hornsby Station That's so correct, we cover Lucy. both, we've got yes. a big area for you and Peter Foster, an Individual and Relationship Counsellor based in Hornsby but covering I suspect a large area in your practice as well Yes um, We have been covering what domestic violence is who it happens to, where it happens, how it can affect. We're going to come back just uh, towards the end of the show about how that can affect ongoing generations and how emotionally it can affect us. But we're going to be very practical right now. We're going to talk about what um, an AVO is, a uh, DVO, and you're going to explain those terms and tell me if I've got them wrong again. Okay, Lucy. (laughs) We've got... um We've got two, actually. We've got what's called an apprehended personal violence order. And we also have an apprehended domestic violence order. The domestic violence order is an order that's taken out usually at 95% of the time by police. And it involves um, what we will call the defendant at this stage, not the accused, the defendant, and the person in need of protection, which we call the pin-up. Um... We take them out for domestic violence uh, in relation to domestic violence orders when it encompasses the domestic relationship. And again, that can include what we're talking about before the carers, Mm -hmm. relatives, um, intimate relationships. Okay. Um, Ex-intimate relationships from 15, 20 years ago can still be included as a domestic relationship. Um, What what it is, it's a a, um, civil document, Not, not criminal, it's a civil document that's basically taken out to mandate or to, yeah, I'd say mandate the um, defendant's behaviour, basically to, to, to monitor it. What we basically, you have mandatory orders which are not to threaten, harass, interfere, molest the protected person or any person that that victim has a domestic relationship with. So if we'll say an example of a mum and a dad... Um, 
in a situation where the children would be covered under that AVO as well. Okay. Um, we have Part B of that one, which is not to intimidate the protected person or any person that, that the protected person has a domestic relationship with and also not to stalk that person or any person that that person has a domestic relationship with. Then we then have, that is on every AVO, whether okay. it's personal or whether it's a domestic. Okay. Then we have um, what we call Conditions 2, 3 and 4. Um, condition 2 tells you that you're not to reside at a specific location. Mm-hmm. So that person, he can walk in the door or she can walk in the door. They can have a normal relationship, but they're not to reside there. Okay. Um, condition three is we can say not to enter that premises. Right. So the person, if, if it's a situation where a relationship has broken down and, and there's a situation where they have to come and pick the children up, that person can come to the door but not enter. Right. And in extreme situation, extreme situation, we have condition four would put on, which is an exclusion zone, which can be anything from from 50 metres to as far as the magistrate would deem suitable. Okay. And sometimes uh, if they're doing a pick-up and a drop-off, is there a condition where they have to have someone with them, uh, another person with them for that pick-up and drop-off or not so much? Not always, no. Uh, if if we're finding these issues in relation to those to that 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 changeover and um, we always suggest that maybe for the pinops protection that they yeah. do in a public place yeah and um, we sometimes have the police station but again it's not the sort of place that you really want to, no. to bring your children so we suggest places like mcdonald's yeah somewhere where it's highly public yeah and it can be done yeah to the pinops protection it, it is all just feeding into the ongoing trauma, isn't it, for the child? Because if the child is being transferred between two parents and there's that feeling, I mean, I know we're going to cover this later, but it does raise massive alarm bells for the anxiety mm-hmm. around that situation and what you're letting your children go to. Um, yeah. And again, that's where the priority is. is the priority is the pin-up and the children. Right. Throughout all this, that is the priority. Okay. And we also have, from there, we have conditions that involve um, family law, which we don't get involved in. Yeah. But there's conditions five, six and seven, which in, in involve in not to, not to contact by any means except through the, the victim's legal representative. That's one is through the family law court representative. Yeah. So depending on the situation, different conditions will, will determine certain things. When an, and a, a domestic violence order is put in place, we, we will seek to um, take firearms from the person who has, if he's got a licence, yep. and they, they will stay in our custody while that AVO is in place, apprehended domestic violence order, so I should say. Thank you. Um, we also have a, a situation that is very, very common, which is a situation where if alcohol becomes involved, it changes a person's demeanour. Yep. Um, and that causes us a lot of problems um so basically we can put a condition condition 10 which is not to approach the protected person within 12 hours of consuming alcohol or illicit drugs a situation where we might have another one where the um perpetrator is a person who as we're saying before may smash property yeah and i'll just add a little bit in here too a joint house that uh, the person may determine that he's going to punch a hole in the wall will still be charged with malicious damage because although he says it's his wall, it's also the victim's wall. Yes, yeah. So we can put a condition not to destroy or damage property. Now, in terms of uh, protecting the victim, you were mentioning a little bit earlier about how you can support the person when you go into the home, when you've been called to the house and... The, in this situation, the woman is standing there. She's got a bruise on her face. It's very clear that... Well, it actually isn't clear, but there is a man standing there, so the presumption 
until proven uh, until proven otherwise proven otherwise is that that has that has been an altercation between those two people you can actually uh, take out the order, can't you, as well, the police? Yes, it's actually a, a domestic violence order is actually taken out by police. We are the applicant. And a lot of times we take this at the the AVO out, even though it's against, the, the as I'll say, the pin-ups mm. um, request or, or wishes. But from where we're standing, we, we have a duty of care as police, as yes. you would know, that the most yep. important, as you said, the first thing we do when we walk in is to make sure that the victim and any of the children are safe. Yep. And if that means removing the perpetrator from the location, then that's what we'll do. Mm-hmm. So it's the duty of care. We always have to come back to that duty of care. And we, uh, every single person in society has a duty of care. There are mandatory reporters which have additional responsibilities. Teachers, yes. medical, yeah. Yeah, so to report. But ultimately, the duty of care is to make sure that there is no harm to another Um, and we have to look after the more vulnerable in our society very much so Mm. peter have you got anything to add on that no i think malcolm said that uh, very well perfect we might uh take a little break when we come back we'll talk about what happens when you go to court and some of the support services that are starting to be in place to help the the what did you call them the pinups pinups Persons in need of protection. There we go, the pin-ops who have to go to court uh, and how we can, you know, what support services you've got in place. We're talking about domestic violence and domestic abuse today. My guests in the studio are Malcolm Baker, Senior Constable, Domestic Violence Liaison Officer, and Peter Foster, Individual and Relationship Counsellor. Welcome back to both of you. Thank you. We're going to take one step back. Before the break, I said we were going to go to talk about what happens when you go to court. But there is a new initiative that's just come in to support victims before they get to that stage where uh, if you're called to the house of a domestic violence situation, there is something new that's happening. Could you talk to us about that, Malcolm? I can, Lucy. Um, we've got a, it's been in now for 12 months. The legislation's now changed for us to be able to videotape the victim there and then at that time, um, preferably at the location. If that's not suitable, we can take the victim back to the stage. And I'm not talking pinups here, I'm talking victims because we, it's a thing called DVEC, that's Domestic Violence Evidence in Chief, which basically means what we used to do was if we had a victim, we'd bring the victim back to the station, which would suit us better because we had the computer set to type out a what really is a sterile document of, of, of the incident that has, that's occurred, um, where now we, we're allowed to use the videos, we're allowed to basically what we put is a jurad on there to explain that what you're telling is the truth and you're prepared to say that in court. Um, and it basically captures that moment. Um, and, and it sounds rather distressing to say this, but we, it's not sanitised. The, the victim is... As you see the victim at the time... Um, traumatised. Traumatised is the say. word, yes. Yeah. And maybe if there's been a lot of damage around the house, we can actually carry the camera around and show that that damage. Um, the emotion that that victim at that time is feeling usually is what, is what we'll get rather than a sanitised piece of paper. And what happens there is that is actually shown in court, which um, helps the victim because the victim doesn't have to get up in court and we don't have to lead them through a statement. What we ask, what we do now is we play that the victim's um, evidence in chief, which is a video um, and at that point while the, la- while the lady or the man is still in the, in the box, the prosecu- the defence can then ask questions in relation to 
to the um, what he's just seen us seen on the screen. Um, it's very, very powerful and impelling evidence. Because I think both parties can forget just how bad it was as your brain copes with what what you've been through it sanitizes it as you were saying such a good expression and the other thing you tend to find too is and we were talking before about the cycle of violence sometimes when that comes to court we're in the cycle we're in the honeymoon period or we're in the remorse period and the victim again is believing it was a one-off or it's not going to happen again so when this is actually brought up again it's it's a stark contrast to what the the victim is feeling at that present time Mm. And unfortunately, in a, in, traditionally, before this initiative was introduced, um, the very act of having to be taken through that whole experience again can actually re-traumatise the victim. So it's avoiding that risk, or at least minimising that risk of, uh, of reinforcing the, the uh, terrifying experiences of the violence. It's very black and white, isn't it? Mm. It's like you, you, there's no question. You can't you can't try and say, "Well, did it really happen?" Yes, it did. This is how bad it was. This is the reality. Because again, the person who's done it may have forget. I mean, they're psychotic episodes at times. So we were saying it's a split personality, yeah. and you can choose to remember or not choose to remember what you've done and how you've behaved. Mm. But it's a moment to actually say, "Okay." When when I can see it like that, I actually do have something to do, so I change. What we try and do too is we try and get... Um, we give the perpetrator... Well, at this stage, we'll say the accused, um, because that's what he is. He's committed an offence and he's now... He's, um, he's been put in front of court. We give him an audio copy. He's not allowed to have a video copy. Mm. But what we try and encourage him to do is if he comes in with his solicitor, we get them to view it before the hearing... And, and it can be again. That has can be quite a way of swaying um, what their plea may be. Yeah, how aggressive they might be in return. Yeah, and it's surprising. It's not surprising now that a lot of them don't want to see it because they're probably aware anyway. Yeah, it's confronting when you're confronted with what you look like or the consequences of what you've done. The consequence of your actions, basically. Yeah. Yes. Taking responsibility. I have done so many shows on taking responsibility and how hard it is for us to do as human beings. It's slightly exasperating to think that we don't want to, Mm. you know, in every aspect of our life, take responsibility. Okay, so um, there are some... There's some court advocacy that is there for both men and women before they go to court... Now, both of you have something to share with that. Who should we start with? I think Peter and go first with that. I, go I actually don't have a lot to oh, offer there. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll let Ma- Malcolm handle that one because by the time um, any one of my clients is either before the court or a, a, as, a, a, as a victim or a perpetrator, they've probably long since uh, gone from my room. Um, they may come back, but um, once the, once the counselling has revealed violence... Um, I'm usually referring uh, the parties uh, to, to, to onward help from there. So I'm, I tend to be off the, off the air at this right. point and then I might come back later uh, when, when a lot of this uh, repair work might start in the future if the relationship is safe again. Okay. Okay. Um, well, we predominantly uh, we have a, um, a great support group called the Women's Domestic Violence Court Advocacy Service. We we know them as WDVCAS. Um, Again, there's a situation just over 12 months ago where um, we now have 
higher um, victim assistance. We we basically now go to what's called any any domestic incident, whether it's got no offence, whether it's a verbal argument, yep. or whether it's something that involves an offence. It goes to what's called we call the central referral point, which okay. at this present moment is run by the women from the Domestic Violence Court Advocacy Service. As I said, I'll call them WDVCAS. Yeah. And they'll determine from there what, what assistance is needed. And that includes for the males uh, and the and men's hotline. Um, again, housing will, can be involved. Further down the track, they're looking at doing certain action, man, action meetings, which are what we'll call SAM meetings, whereas they'll attempt with high... With the, upper regions of, of management in all these different places will come together and, and see if they can determine an outcome for the victim there and then. But on a smaller scale at the moment, when when our victim goes to court, within 24 hours of an incident, again, verbal or non, no offence, they'll get a phone call from the ladies from the Women's Domestic Violence Court Advocacy Service asking them, do they need any help? What yep. sort of... They'll give them a little of a background of what will occur in court. Um... And as when they come to court on the day, they have what we call the shine room or the quiet room, which is um, for the ladies only, for the female victims. So they'll go in there and they'll be given a, a lady for the day to assist them through the process. Um, I'll, I'm in there, I'm in and out of court and I'm in the quiet room, um, allaying any fears or getting any questions or any changes or amendments to AVOs that we may need to do. And, and basically I'll liaise between them and the prosecutor. We try to keep them informed and we try and keep them out of the courtroom if that's not where they wish to be. If they wish to be in the court, we'll, we'll put, put them in the court with their, with their um, assistant, the lady who's going to assist them. Yeah. So throughout the whole process, we try and keep them informed as to where they need to go and what's, what's occurring. Um, at this present moment, there's a, I believe there's a situation going to change where, where the males... There's an initiative starting, it's called the Police Prosecutors Initiative, where if it goes to a hearing, that will run through the, the, the pin-ops victims um in relation to their hearings like a dummy court yep we'll try and run the DVEC so they can have a look at what's what possible questions they may receive just to give them a run through of what what it's going to be like to be in court that's so supportive i i just when you share what what there is there i think there we have to appreciate just how many people have sat down and thought about what can support people in this hideous situation and um, we have that in our local area. We have all of that within the Hornsby Kuringai area and people need to check what's available in their areas if they're living further afield. But we have that here. Is that correct, Malcolm? We do. We don't have the sudden action meetings yet. They're, no. They're, they'll be down the track. They've just been piloted in another um, lakes, but at the moment... Um, but we've got everything else We here. do. Okay. And in terms of what's available locally, I know we've got... Uh, you gave me a fly for the family, the Waitara Family Centre, which is a family dispute resolution run by Catholic Care. Um, I've seen a, a couple of other things through them. They've got a lot of um, great brochures uh, from family and community services there about domestic violence, what it is, what it isn't. Um, they've got a booklet called Charmed and Dangerous, which talks, um, which takes us through all uh, about the power control wheel, the cycle of violence that Peter was mentioning earlier. 
the effects of domestic violence on children, what a healthy relationship is. Um, it's got warning signs and also information on same-sex relationships and where to go to from here. There's a great booklet called The uh, Domestic Violence is a Crime. It's a police and community booklet. Um, done in partnership with Willoughby Council and the New South Wales Police Force. It was my first introduction, actually, to um, who, what, where and what services we had. And it covers... It's got um, contact numbers for abuse of older people, the financial or welfare assistance, services for young people. Um, It's really... If you go to any of these places or if you go to the police station... You go to the uh, the um, Catholic Care Centre in Waitara, you'll find a lot of these booklets there and um, that can be really great support. Now, don't forget, we've got the Women's Shelter as well. And that's that's one of our um, big organisations in the Hornsby-Kuringai area. A direct um, line to the shelter is 84112046. Um I've got contact numbers for all of the uh, numbers that you might need on the page on my um, on the Triple H website. So, but if you want the domestic violence line, it's one eight hundred six five six four six three. That is uh, that is listed on that web page. Um, one of the ones I didn't have on there was Link to Home, which is uh, where they can find emergency accommodation pretty quickly for you. That's one eight hundred one five one one five two. A word of warning on that: sometimes it's a long wait time. Don't be put off by that, and they have um, a huge demand. So uh, also don't be put off by that. They'll try as hard as they can to find support for you. Um, other than that in our area, I don't think there's... I think really the first port of call is to actually acknowledge that you've got a problem, that you want some help, either go to the police or talk to um, a counsellor so that they can refer you because each of them are mandatory reporters and have good contacts in the area. Now, um, we might go to one more song before the end. And when we come back, we're going to talk about societal norms, the effect... Uh, over the generations of what you witness when you witness domestic violence, when you witness abuse, if we call it what it is, um, and how how that can perpetuate the cycle, intergenerational cycle of abuse. You are listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. We are in the last 10 minutes of a a show on domestic violence and domestic abuse. Um, Can we just talk about the intergenerational effects of abuse when you witness it um we were talking a little bit off air about the cycle of violence and how if we don't if we don't call it out it can teach the behavior to go through the generations can you talk a little bit about that peter yes um both perpetrators and victims can in in the stress and heat of the moment and their their lived experience of the violence forget that the children are being affected Um, There's no question that children are emotionally and psychologically traumatised and their development can be arrested in the presence of domestic violence. Uh, They form distorted role models. Um, Children, for example, will always identify with strength and they'll always ally ally themselves with the abuser and they may lose respect for the victim and all women, in fact, if if it's a male perpetrator. They come to believe that violence is an effective way to resolve conflicts and problems. 
boys can start to become violent. When they grow up, they become violent to their adult partners. Girls can start to believe as they get older that threats and violence are normal in an adult relationship. And they're very profound implications, mm. uh, not to mention the, the, the flow-on effect of substance abuse post-traumatic stress disorder and juvenile delinquency but the idea that these things go on from generation to generation because adults were once children and they learnt all they know about life just by learning from what goes on around them yeah how to address their hurts deal with their Mm. hurts even acknowledge their hurts and their reactions Mm. to that what what are the emotions that come from denying what they're feeling yes yes the, the worst part of it is for them it's normal yes yeah, that barometer of what's normal. And that's why I think the fact that we're now taught in schools around our White Ribbon Day, which yeah. this year is the 25th of November, yeah. um, they're, taught, they're taught that it's not the normal. Yeah. It, it isn't the normal at all. Children who witness domestic violence are also being abused, basically. Yes. And it's, it's interesting because you have, in, with your uniform, you go into some homes where seeing a police officer is the norm and actually trying to trust the police officer is a step in itself sometimes. That normal, where that's where the normal barometer is completely skewed because the police officer should be someone who is there to support. But because of the warped sense of the presence of police in some of these families' lives... It's, it's not seen as that. It's seen as actually we must keep this away from that level of support. Mm. Again, uh, more isolation, isn't it? Um, it is, but, but again, I'm also a big believer. Uh, the point where if we are being called in, if there's a situation, a domestic relationship where police are now involved, it's gone. Someone's crying out for help. Yeah. Mm. And something we, we need to do something. That's where the neighbours are super important, right? If Very. Neighbours and friends. If mm. we are aware that there is stuff going on for people that we know, we love, don't be a bystander. The level you walk by is the level you accept. And what we, you know, it, it, terrible things can happen to people, but if we actually don't step in and make the phone call, we actually are not helping that person in any way. Actually, Lisa, there's a situation too where we'll turn around to, to the... To the um, the victims and basically advise them as a safety measure that if you don't feel comfortable that you're going to be able to get hold of a phone or I mean one of the first things a perpetrator will do is to take hold of any form of communication outlet that that person has got right. either destroy it or just stop them from using it um, it's a, let your neighbour know that if you hear um, loud arguments and, and, and what isn't as we say normal call police I mean it's another it's another avenue that, that that's there to assist yeah yeah, absolutely. Uh, just a, one word on that too. It's it, the fear that the victim, the, the neighbour is going to become involved, isn't always the case. It's not. It's not in our interest to tell the perpetrator whose rank. We just let that perpetrator know that it's not the victim. Okay, that's very helpful. Mm-hmm. Well, because if the honeymoon period and the resolution comes back, actually there can be. Um that there can be a learnt behaviour to how to make sure that that person, the the victim, doesn't have the facility to call. The it's next actually time. something the perpetrator hasn't got control over. Yeah, mm. lovely. Thank you very much. Um, I'm enormously grateful uh, to you both. Uh, coming up in uh, about five minutes' time, ten minutes' time, we're going to go to Sunday Live, Tony Dosen and the Triple H League team. Um, I'm going to say thank you to my guests. Have we got any last words before I go to say thank you to you both? 
Any key pieces of information we need to pass on? Uh, no, I just I just think we always have to remember the that the, the abuser is responsible, mm-hmm. and we have to remember it. Violence is nothing more than violence. It's 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 not mitigated by any other factor, and that's where we've got to, the first priority always is to make people safe. I agree. I think Peter's last sentence was the best one so far. Our priority is to make people safe. Exactly right. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, Senior Constable Malcolm Baker, Peter Foster, very uh, much appreciated. I have learnt a huge amount. Um, I'm hoping that our listeners have as well. Uh, The podcast will be available through the Stay in the Loop with Lucy website and on SoundCloud as soon as possible. Sign up through either of these places if you want to have those notifications to say when it's going to happen. And please feel free to share it. I think the more we can share this within our local community and further afield, the better. Um, I always say uh, I love an Albert Einstein quote. The world is a dangerous place, not because of those who do evil, but because of those who look on and do nothing. And that's exactly what you were saying, Peter. If you or anyone you know has been affected by any of the issues brought up in today's show, the numbers uh, will be found on the website for support. Uh, it's very important that you seek support, and, uh, and and there is a lot out there. Triple O. Triple O, absolutely. In, in our emergency. Yeah. The show next week is going to be something completely different, although... Uh, I suspect that this will come up in it um, because there is a certain element of finding your voice in next week's show which does uh, push triggers and push buttons. The show is going to be on perimenopause and menopause. Um, I think we're going to have quite a lot of humour coming into that show. I've got two very funny guests, very good guests. So till then, remember to take care um, of you. Take a moment this week to look after you to connect with the amazing people in our community and see support that's there. Be kind, be caring, be loved, be you. You've been listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. See you.